This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode, GP in hours, activity data, books, and chat GPT. It's a golden opportunity for us to really improve, you know, how we're recording it in countertypes in Scotland. People will say things like, we need information on activity, and I think getting good specific examples of how would you ideally use this type of information really helps in terms of how we develop things. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to another bumper episode of the Snug Podcast from the Scottish National Users Group for GPIT. I'm Andrew McElhinney, I'm a GP in NHS Forth Valley and still a proud member of Snug. Welcome to 2023. Now, I've got a few questions for you. I wonder how busy are you at the moment? Do you know how many face-to-face encounters your practice has compared with telephone calls? Are you busier now than you were last year or before the start of the pandemic? Are you seeing or speaking to less patients now because you have a nurse practitioner or physio or a mental health nurse, as was envisaged by the GP contract? And how good is your practice at recording the correct encounter type? How does that compare with other practices in your locality or the rest of Scotland? Now, one of the fairly recurrent themes we've heard during conversations for this podcast over the past few years has been the need for data to demonstrate how busy general practice is why we desperately need to be better resourced. And we heard from Matt Houghton, the clinical advisor to Digital uh, Primary Care NHSX in England in our July 2021 podcast. And he made the point and really showed a gap between England and Scotland at that point in how much information was being collected about activity levels in general practice. I'm delighted to say that this is now being addressed. And today we are hearing from Dr. Keith Moffat and Billy Davidson from NSS who have finished a pilot project across Scotland to collect information about in-hours GP activity levels. And they're going to tell us about how that's been going. And we were also joined by Dr. Neil Kelly, whose practice has, of course, been involved. Yeah, so I'm Keith Moffat. I'm a GP in Ayrshire Narn and in primary care clinical informatics lead within NHS National Services Scotland. And as part of that, I am co-leading on the GP and hours activity project, which is aiming to improve the availability and quality of data from general practice systems on in hours activity. Brilliant. And are uh, you enjoying the Arctic weather at the moment? Yeah, it's um, minus nine where I am. So even my screen wash is frozen. <laughs> yeah, that's never good. Uh, I've, I've had that trouble as well. And Billy, what about yourself? Uh, Billy Davidson, uh, I work for NSS. I work for Brendan O'Brien and uh, Keith's a member of Brendan's team as well. Working on this project, uh, I, I believe that I'm working directly for Keith and I, I provide the interface uh, between the project and Albasoft and uh, Albasoft do most of the development on the in-practice dashboard and do all of the data extraction that we feed back for the national publication. Excellent. Well, gosh, I I know it's a busy time and you've both been talking about this a lot recently, but uh, 
we just really wanted to maybe get a bit of background to this project and, and just to explain it to people that don't know anything about it. So I guess just the, the fact that there's, you know, an overwhelming desire from various groups for data from, you know, general practice and just the fact that for such a long time that's been lacking, probably since, you know, PTI and, and the and, and the time of sampling from a group of practices in Scotland to get information on various things. So, so that, that there's such a desire for general practice data for obvious, you know, many reasons. One of which is sort of high priority reasons is around activity. There's other obvious things around public health, but the, the focus for, of our work is on activity. There's, I suppose, a few sort of concepts that have some overlap. We are specifically looking at encounters within general practice systems. So it's the way that any user of a GPIT system will enter a consultation. So whether they enter it's face to face and or telephone appointment or medicines management, that sort of thing is the basis for all the information that we get from the GPIT systems. Uh, there's obviously other ways that you can get information, this sort of thing that get that have you know strengths and weaknesses. So other things are like appointment book data. Um, you can extract information directly from prescribing modules to get information on, you know, prescriptions more specifically. But we are really focusing on the encounter information, which gives quite a lot of useful information so long as it's been recorded accurately by the user on workload, but is is not as good at telling you, I suppose, about demand and unmet demand. And we're we're currently looking at capacity within the information we can get, so we know that because we've got time and date stamps for when, whenever any encounters entered, we can use that to look at whole time equivalent, but we would need, really need to look at that in more detail to see how reliable that is. But but there's a lot more to it than just, you know, how much is the workload in the practice, because that on its own is is useful, but it's it's not the obviously the whole picture in, in the area of, you know, activity. Yeah, because I, I suppose I'm conscious of the fact that having heard about England and what they've been able to do for years really in terms of measuring activity in primary care and general practice it's great to be able to do this or to start to do this in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. and in, I, I don't know Billy if you want to say a bit of it in, in England they their use of you know appointment book data in, instead. Yeah the use appointment book data and in Wales they were looking to use appointment book data both are very very keen to use both appointment data and encounter data but they found it a little bit more difficult to start to think about how they would do the encounter data piece. We looked at the uh, appointment book data and I think England started off with 440,000 different types of appointments before they stopped looking and at that point it uh, decided that they would need quite a lot of work basically to consolidate the appointment types that they were actually using. In conversations with them they are perhaps not as confident about the quality of the data as maybe some of the um, statements that are made with regards to the quality of the data that you see on a, on a national basis. So uh, we've got a little bit more work to do and we'll work with our colleagues in England and Wales to see, you know, basically if we can do both as their intention is to do both that appointment book piece and the encounter data piece longer term. But we think there's a lot more value in what we're doing at the moment from an encounter counting perspective. Yeah, so the, the basic idea is that consultation types are a cleaner way of recording activity maybe than trying to work out what's happening in appointment screens, which can be used I suppose pretty variably and I guess the whole principle to this is to try and standardise as much as possible what people are, are doing. 
So, so I mean, I'm aware of the potential benefits and, and I know you guys are. Have you encountered difficulty trying to sell the benefits, you know, the project to, to practices or clusters or health boards? No, I mean, we've, we, I suppose when we, when we started this, I expected that we would have less of an, you know, an overwhelmingly positive response because it, my feeling was, we, you know, when we started off this project, it was around demonstrating that we could extract this sort of information in a meaningful way and aggregate it for, you know, for analysis purposes. And, and so what's in the dashboard just now is still relatively, you know, simple information from the point of view of its, you know, simple counts and, you know, proportions and that sort of thing. But folk have, you know, with that been really positive. There's still a lot, you know, that we can do with that. And, you know, the pilot project, we've 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 got feedback from, from there, but it has been really positive around, um, you know, how practices already could use it. But um, we're still really keen on on improving the features within it and practices, you know, giving us feedback on that. And in terms of the main steps in setting all this up, I mean, are you able to summarise that very briefly? You know how that how that went. Can you do that briefly, Billy? <laughs> I, I, I doubt it. Uh, I think the, I think the first thing that we started off with was the national encounter recording guidance. And the feedback that we've had on that has been fairly positive in terms of we don't seem to have had much negative feedback on it at all or or, or even, uh, you know, additional feedback on it. So we think that, uh, you know, we had a meeting with the board uh, just before we uh, came on to this meeting and they were very, very keen that we got that national uh, rec- encounter recording guidance out as soon as possible across the board so they could start to give us a little bit more feedback on it as in the you know the actual GPs giving us feedback on it rather than perhaps some of the other groups that we've gone to so far. So I think given that that's very positive, the exploratory data that we've published with Public Health Scotland, we were expecting that to be uh, very, very, very wide of the mark. But that board that we've just come away from, they were discussing with us the nuances of uh, how close that data is to what they're finding on a weekly basis. But they were also saying that their difficulty was that it wasn't exactly the same as the data that they were recording at the moment in the group of practices that we're working with. And we said, it won't be. It's purely exploratory data. We do need to get that national encounter guidance out. We do need to work uh, a lot closer on what we're doing from a mapping perspective with uh, each practice and each board before the numbers will be a little bit more exact, a little bit more useful. Because I, I guess taking it back to practice level, I mean, the way it worked for us was whenever you were uh, starting this off, you sent us this really helpful guidance about trying to get every member of the team set up in a way that would enable us to record encounters properly. It's great to be joined by Neil, uh, Neil Kelly. And I'm guessing you were in the pilot as well, Neil, were you? Uh, Yes, indeed, we were. And Keith referred to the previous PTI project, CMR, as it was originally way back when. So we've been recording encounter data for, for a long time. And the interesting part about that previous program was very much the focus on quality and uh, ensuring that the accuracy of the data reflected exactly what was happening in practice. And I think we absolutely need to make a big effort to improve the way we record the the activity in practice now. And I think this has gone a long way to, to help that. And we thought when we embarked on participating in this pilot that we were pretty good at this. 
uh, and actually just the opportunity to stand back and and review what you were doing showed that, that actually we weren't as good as we thought we were. And so it's been a really useful exercise for us just in terms of tightening up encounter type particularly. So the real challenge is making sure, for example, that people who are doing a, a, a telephone consultation record it as a telephone consultation rather than the default, which sometimes is a face-to-face, um, because obviously, you know, the, the, there might be issues around maybe not having examined the patient or uh, not being able to record vital signs and so on. And the other the other really useful part for us was to sort out, tidy up the way that we had recorded each of the clinicians within the system and to, to actually make sure that they were linked to a proper uh, clinician type uh, and that made the grouping of them much easier at the point uh, we were able to to look at reporting. So uh, we're really excited about this and actually desperate to now see some comparative data because I think the next step for us is within a cluster to look at how practices are coping and with the current demands and to see where that fits into a national picture um, so some benchmarking data will be really, really welcome. Yeah, great work from Keith uh, and Billy. So thank you very much. Yeah, and I, I suppose just again, going back to what it's like at practice level, I thought I found it a bit more tricky than expected just to get every single person to set up their own profile because we found our practice manager obviously couldn't do it for people, that people had to be encouraged to do it themselves. So I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to talk about the benefits yet, because I really wanted to ask you guys, you know, having done the pilot, you know, are you starting to get some feedback on what what's happened in the pilot practices? So we've, we've had uh, a lot of feedback, uh, Andrew, and we're very, very keen to uh, implement changes uh, in terms of the feedback that we've had. So probably the main piece of feedback we've had is that the HCP role uh, granularity, flexibility isn't quite where it needs to be if we're going to deliver uh, proper reporting uh, back into the practices. So practices are very, very keen to see what that multidisciplinary team do, uh, whether or not, you know, and, and practices are very keen to see what's done by practice staff and staff out with the practice. Uh, it, and, and, and I think we need to develop uh, some HCP role guidance as well as uh, working with probably just vision in the first instance to make sure that we've got that extra granularity, that extra flexibility. So that's uh, that's certainly one of the things that we're, we're looking at. Uh, we're in the process of writing a feedback report. So hopefully it, it won't be uh, a tome, but it will be, you know, um, several pages that will feed back that says, you know, this is what we've gathered during the pilot. And uh, we'll feed that back in the first instance to the uh, lead GPs that were on the uh, on the pilot. Um, so you guys can say, yes, uh, we're, we're happy that you've managed to capture all our feedback or, or here's some additional feedback. Uh, but the feedback is still pouring in. So I, I think all we're going to try and do with the report is capture the feedback that we've got up until now. But we're also still collecting feedback, but that might not be represented in this initial report. Just to, just to add on to that as well, thanks, Billy, um, is just around the, the way in which practices were so from the outset, trying to improve, you know, recording and more, you know, looking at it in retrospect. So we're giving feedback around how, you know, the drop ins. We had like three drop ins a week during the pilot phase and practices were doing quite a lot to try and improve. And the other thing that came out as quite a big thing was the system issues are that that's leading to a, a bias in the wrong uh, encounter being recorded. So 
the a big example being within EMIS systems that any blood results that come in are recorded automatically as a face-to-face -face encounter. There's no way of, you know, once you save that after you're in your import labs, it's just saves as a face-to-face -face and you, you have no control over that before it gets recorded in the record. So there's these sorts of things and there's other things like that that um, will, will be important to address and we plan to do that through the Change Advisory Board. And I'm guessing on that subject, I mean, presumably moving to a single GP system will be helpful in reducing some of those kind of issues. Yeah, Vision as a system has much fewer options than does EMIS. So a lot of the mappings we've had to, to do is to try and map EMIS, the, the multitude of EMIS to back to, you know, the vision categories because um, they are, you know, fewer than the, the EMIS categories. And just, I think, there's much less potential in terms of what you need to investigate to find out why why is this, you know, even the EMIS blood result issue, as you mentioned, you know, you have to look into that as a specific issue. So there will be just one system. And, and would you say you've been conscious of the fact that, I mean, if, as Neil said earlier, I think the default is face-to-face, -face, that maybe you're getting too many face-to-face -face mm. encounters showing up? Yeah. Yeah, that's what you see, yeah. That's why we've got a red, that's why we've got a red flag on the dashboard. And uh, Neil's GP practice managers found that very useful. She says, uh, you know, particularly with new members of staff, pointing to the fact that they've got another red flag this week, you know, that's uh, indicating that they've recorded uh, more surgery consultations than they have telephone consultations. Is that actually true or are you just using the default? So um, there, there's some nice, easy visual prompts in there that help, you know, uh, people understand that they're still using the defaults rather than, uh, you know, the correct encounter types each time. One of, one of the questions you just asked there, Andrew, is that, that I think there's a huge opportunity as we move 52% of the estate from EMIS over to Vision, because there are some practices in the country that have got this down to fine art. You know, they've basically configured Vision in a, a very tight manner and have talked to all of their staff about exactly how they do this recording practice. And if we can take that best practice and uh, feed that back into the training that we do in terms of uh, you know moving the EMIS practices to vision, I think you know that it's a it's a golden opportunity for us to really improve you know how we're recording uh, encounter types in Scotland. And certainly the dashboard I found has been fantastic in terms of it's fascinating to see before the pandemic what the levels of appointments were like and then the telephone numbers start increasing. And so it's fascinating to see that and how much busier we get as well, because I think one of the lessons we found was that we are still apparently as busy as we were before we started getting all the PCIP staff in. So we've got them working and we're still working away. So uh, everyone just gets busier and busier, it seems. I, I think for me, uh, one of the important pieces of work that we need to do now, everybody said this is some practice. It says it looks like we're doing less work now than we were doing before the pandemic. And then you say, have you got the same number of staff? And they go, no. Have you got the same number of sessions being worked by your GPs? No. Well, you know, there, there's a clue. That's maybe why you're appear to be less busy and and actually you know for a fact that you are actually an awful lot busier uh, than you were and you know they, they, they nod to that so i think i think we really need to start to look at that capacity in practice and that capacity out with practice and bring some meaningful uh, stats back in the in practice dashboard no it's 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 such a useful project i i really am keen that in having the discussions like this 
that people will see the benefits of getting involved. Can I just ask before we finish, I mean, what do you hope the next steps will be and how, how can SNUG maybe help? So the next main thing is around the national rollout and probably from the point of view of, of SNUG, what would be really helpful is getting feedback on the, the national guidance, so the recording guidance, which the pilot practices have had, have had an opportunity to feedback on. We've been in touch with SNUG, but I think get, getting as, as much feedback from SNUG members as possible would be great. And then I think the what once we're actually rolling out, getting the feedback on the, the dashboard, I think in particular the really the really useful things are you know people will say things like we need information on activity but sometimes it's quite difficult to know exactly how they will use that and I think getting you know good specific examples of how how would you ideally use this type of information not necessarily what's currently there but what would you like to be able to do with this type of information really helps in terms of how we develop things whereas you tend to get quite sort of generic high level suggestions around what might be helpful, but it makes it quite difficult in terms of how how we would develop it. So that sort of thing, I think, in terms of feedback from practices on what they would ideally like to see and really specifically around how would they use that? How do you actually see yourself using that type of information? I'm not sure we specifically said that we were looking to do a national rollout there after we tidy up the in-practice dashboard a little bit, Keith, but but that, that that's basically the, the next step that we're looking at. Neil, just in finishing, have you had any practical benefit from the, the data that you've had? I think the really useful thing for us has been uh, an ability to acknowledge the value of our nursing staff in the practice and to, to particularly think a little bit about how they're doing triage and, and how that impacts on their ability to do their other chronic disease management work. So those are conversations that were absolutely stimulated by the dashboard, particularly the, the, the charts, um, which are very visual. And as you say, Andrew, you can see very clearly how the patterns of that work have changed over the course of the last two years. So, and I think that, that, that actually it also, for them to be able to see this actually in itself improves the quality of, of how they're recording stuff because they want to do it right and they want to actually do a good job and and that's you know that that, that sort of feedback absolutely reinforces that behavior so we're, we're, we're really enthusiastic well that's a good note to end on maybe uh, thank you all very much for joining uh, us today and it's it's been really useful just to hear about this whole project and how it's going to help and benefit us all so thank you very much thank you andrew thank you Thanks, andrew So brilliant work there from Keith and Billy in coordinating all of that for holding multiple meetings and drop-in sessions for the project team and the practices involved in the pilot. And they really have developed detailed help and guidance for practices who want to do this properly and collect good quality data and a brilliant dashboard tool for displaying it. So we're really keen to hear about the results from the pilot, the feedback, and to see this being rolled out to other interested practices across Scotland. Now, you might just have realised that Christmas came and went and we didn't actually manage to have a proper Christmas podcast, which meant that we missed out having a chat with our good friend of the podcast, Dr Chris Weatherburn, who usually gives us some great book recommendations. Chris is a GP in Dundee, an informatician and a prolific reader and reviewer of books on his website and YouTube channel. So we really had to speak to him. (laughs) 
So a big welcome to Chris. It's fantastic to speak again, Chris. I have to say, I felt I missed out an important part of Christmas and New Year last year because we didn't get any book reviews from you uh, to, to include with the December podcast. So, so yes, how, how was 2022 for you? Oh, thank you, Andrew, and Happy New Year to you. Uh, 2022 was good, thank you. Enjoying every day as much as I can, living the moment and doing lots of work, juggling lots of plates and trying to get them not crashing down. How about you? Yeah, I think it was a very eventful year, I would say. And uh, one of the things I particularly enjoyed based on your recommendation from last year was reading this book called Positivity by Barbara Fredrickson, which I found absolutely fascinating. And in the circumstances of last year, which did lack positivity, you know, at at certain times and all sorts of things happening, I'd say that was an essential listen. And and going back to the previous year, the one that you mentioned about, um, it was called The Digital Doctor by Robert Wachter. And I'd say, again, that's a must read, you know, if you're interested in medicine and technology. So, So the bar is very high. So I just wondered, yes, have you got a couple of equally good recommendations? Uh, Yeah, yeah, well, I'll try. I mean, just going back to positivity, because it's all about reinforcing things. I think the key point there is the three to one ratio so that your mind is on an upward spiral. You completely agree. Times are hard. Uh, The NHS has never, in my opinion, been as pressed as it has uh, at this current point. So resilience is something that is important for us as teams and us as individuals. And you can see the segue there into what the book's about. It's called Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength and Happiness by Rick Hansen. Now, a lot of this people know, particularly GPs know, but I observe that often people aren't quite as good at caring for themselves as others. So it is worth just reminding ourselves about this neuroplasticity that the brain has. And if we can actually turn good passing experiences into inner lasting resources, that can really help us. And getting in that right state of mind and enjoying it actually can be a positive trait that we embed in our brain. Because you'll have all heard this golden rule that we should do unto others as we do unto us others, as we do to ourselves. And well, you could argue that actually you should be saying, well, you should do how they would want to be treated in that circumstance. But that's not my key point here. The key point is that we're, as doctors, particularly kind to others, but we're often not kind to ourselves. And we have to be treating people well. And people who we have responsibility to help, sure, we treat them well. But remember, the person that we can influence the most is ourselves. Therefore, we really have to be good to ourselves, and that can help others. So if you want to know more, I've got a written summary and a a YouTube video. I'll briefly mention a, a point that resonated with me that may help when we deal with people, particularly who are having emotional distress. This is this process of two darts. uh, And uh, apparently the Buddha first mentioned this. And the first dart is the actual uh, traumatic event, whatever it could be, an illness. Uh, I won't uh, ruin the uh, positivity of this podcast by listing traumatic events. But let's say it's an illness. And the second dart is what we give to ourselves. That's kind of fueled by the inner critic. 
and in essence, it's the delayed pain that potentially we don't need to throw at ourselves if we can train our brains to be that more positive. So hopefully you'll enjoy that book, Andrew. That sounds brilliant. Um, I, I think one thing that, that, that comes through uh, various talks about trying to keep positive and keep resilient is the fact that we tend to have this negativity bias. And if, 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 if nine good things happen to us in a day and one bad thing happens, we'll remember the bad thing. And we do have to train ourselves to overcome that and, and, and to, to change our mindset, really. Exactly. And that's part of being human. Uh, some people would keep a kind of positivity journal. And particularly when we get compliments, you know, oh, why don't you write that down? The patient, why the, they write the written complaints down, but they, the, the nice things. So some people do do that so they can reflect back and, and just deliberately focus on the positive things. And that brings me into my second book recommendation, which focuses on habits. And it is still January, the new year. Hopefully all the New Year's resolutions are still going on the 18th. But um, Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others by Art Markman. Now, this is a great book if you're thinking about goals. A goal is that end state that provides you a focus for your motivational energy. And clearly it could be a desirable state or an undesirable state that you want to avoid. And for example, I'm sure you and I would have had the same goals, Andrew, uh, a good few years ago, you know, getting through medical school, you want to pass everything. And uh, you obviously did. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, patients also have goals. Some of them need goals, some need direction, and some need goals, particularly you think about their recovery journeys. But what the goal thing is, it's all sometimes a bit, you achieve the goal, great. Well, why don't we just talk about failure? Because what resonated um, from this book to me uh, was about how one should fail, because there's only a finite amount of time, so we can't achieve everything. And part of it is knowing your goals so one can reprioritize and put the best effort to achieve the goal. But the second bit would be a, a, a process known as unsystematically failing. And by that, it may be you've got your work life, home life, and other hobbies, for example. Now, if you're always late for your child's school, for example, you'd be systematically failing there. But if on, say, one occasion, you couldn't go to a child's performance because you needed to prioritize work, and on the following occasion, you've actually declined a work thing, if that's possible, and then prioritized perhaps uh, a hobby that you enjoy, that would be the way of kind of unsystematically failing. So you're trying to keep that balance right across all, all your life. And, and that is difficult, but that's a good book to read as well. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it, it makes me think about how hard we can be in ourselves sometimes. A lot of, of doctors, I think, can be perfectionists and, and, and want to do things at this unrealistically high level all the time, which isn't possible. So I, I guess that maybe links back to what you were saying in the first book as well about being a bit kinder to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And, and just, you know, perfectionism, I've got a shameless plug. I have done a YouTube video before and my just thoughts on perfectionism, not based on a particular book, but 
we need to be also mindful about our teams in general practice. And I'll briefly mention a concept about productivity and effectiveness, because productivity is a measure of how much we do with these resources in a given time. And you can think of that like a factory line. Uh, and being productive just simply means you're producing something, whereas effectiveness is this ability to measure how you engage in a set of actions that produces the desired outcome. So if we have an effective team and you can grow effectiveness, you can all be working together towards a, a common goal. And I think in teamwork, other than being kind to ourselves and others, it's easy to think but what I mentioned about the golden rule and a, a sidetrack about how others want to be perceived or treated, we're all different. Uh, some people are organized. Um, you're organized. Uh, you organized this meeting and uh, arrived in time. Others are, are last minute. Some are what we'd call kind of monochronic, focusing on one thing, whereas others are polychronic juggling lots of things, doing, and and one isn't worse or better than another. It's not like an introvert's better than an extrovert, although when you look at that, everybody strives to be an ambivert, but it's about how people are different, and by knowing what type of personality they have and how they work best, as a team, in a practice, we can work together. And there's a light-hearted book I'll, I'll recommend as well, called Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas Erickson. And that's really about four different personality colors. It's very simple. Nobody is one true color. But by assigning a color to a particular trait, you can think, oh, this person is a blue color or a glue color, as I think um, uh, one of the snug members uh, noted and put on a YouTube video that the, the transcript had glue instead of blue, and that makes him blue, because blue is kind of attention to detail, and that's a good thing to have. But equally in a team, we need to have other traits, other people, and ideally working to what works for them so that we can collectively provide great patient-centered care, person-centered care, whilst being good to ourselves as a team and not burning out. You know, there's loads of food for thought there and, and interlinking ideas as well, which I, I love. So I really look forward to tracking those down. Hopefully they're on Audible, I hope, because I like listening to them, but I'll, I'll have a look for them. Before you, you go, I just wanted to ask you quickly um, about something, a new IT-related development in, Dece in December, apart from, you know, thousands of cases of strep A. Uh, there's also news in the world of technology about the availability of this new form of AI called ChatGPT. And I know you're aware of that. You can use it on your phone or your PC, uh, and basically via a web browser, it opens a world to this whole new level of AI, which can not only access a vast amount of data, but also generate and transform all that into more amazing and sophisticated uses like writing letters, writing essays, writing poems. Now, I know you're aware of it. Uh, have you got any thoughts? If I was a copywriter by profession, and that's somebody who, I, I didn't know what a copywriter was until I started making my website, but that's somebody who generates copy as in written content for a living, I would be very, very worried. 
uh, because the standard from chat GPT is very high. I think I did uh, make a quick YouTube video in which I just put into it how to make a YouTube video and it gave kind of five points, you know, so, oh, that's a good script, may as well. I, I think uh, academics are also worried. I, I know that if you submit some essays, they have some plagiarism detection. I'm not certain how w that would cope, but um, I think it's fascinating, but I do think we're, we've already uh, entered the era where there's too much data. Now, this is just going to be too much content, even more. I mean, you couldn't possibly read everything and see everything in the internet. What's going to happen? I, I don't know. I suspect there'll be some kind of charge for it. Uh, there's also a fascinating uh, program called DALI, actually, that's recently open, so anybody could potentially use it. I think you need to register, but you just literally put a few sentences together and it generates a visualization for you. And, and that's so powerful as well, because everybody who can read and write thinks, you know, I can write something, it, it, it speeds up, but, you know, you could base uh, something on your chat GPT output but equally, you could do it yourself, right? But I personally can't draw at all, but I could write five sentences and to have some images being generated is powerful. I don't think that we as GPs are going to um, see any real difference here, but certainly, as I say, schools are worried. I think it's a good thing to explore if you've got half an hour and uh, you want yeah. to write a poem about somebody. Well, well, we'll come to that. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I was struck by the fact that I mentioned it to various people my own age. They hadn't heard about it, but I mentioned it to two children in their 20s at university and they knew all about it. So it's, it's, it's registering. Yeah. I'll be honest, my 14-year-old daughter is the first person who told me about it. Isn't that fascinating? So, I mean, the, the thing is, I did notice, I mean, you could use it to write a letter, you know, if, for example, if you're responding to a complaint and it will come up with this articulate, plausible letter in about a minute, whereas it would take a human, obviously, quite a lot longer than that. Yeah, so, yeah I, I, I've, I've not explored it as much as I would like to, and certainly that's a great thing to look at. I, I must admit, it was a bit like general practice before this chat, I thought I'll quickly have a look at ChatGPT <laughs> and I went to put something in and it said ChatGPT is at capacity right now, get notified when we're back. So yes, it sounds very like the NHS, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Even AI is overwhelmed, Andrew. <laughs> well, listen, just as a closing piece, I, well, I did try uh, uh, to, to ask ChatGPT to create a poem about Dr. Weatherburn from Dundee. So is it OK if I just read out a couple of excerpts from that? Oh, oh, oh go for it. And I even have, I have some backing music as well. So hold on. I don't know if you can hear that or not. In the town of Dundee. Can you hear that? I can't hear the music. Okay, you, you'll hear it. You will, you will. Relaxing music, please. In the town of Dundee, there lived a man whose skills and knowledge knew no end. His name was Weatherburn, a doctor so fine, he dedicated his life to saving mankind. He was a mentor to the young and old, sharing his wisdom, stories yet untold. He was a beacon of hope in times of despair. He always knew how to fix what was wrong and repair. I'll give you one more, one more verse. As he grows older, his hands, they may shake. 
but his spirits remain strong. Make no mistake, he continues to serve with a heart full of love. He's a true hero sent from above. Uh, you know, if people could see me, I'd be blushing now. Uh, but we both know it's secretly you who wrote that. <laughs> no, well, well, so no, it well, took well, you hours, didn't it? <laughs> I, I will say I had a slight issue with the chorus because it said, Oh, Dr. Weatherburn of Dundee, a hero in his own right, which is fine. He worked tirelessly day and night with compassion and care. He knew no bounds. And then it says he was a guardian of the sick and the wounded. So the only thing I'd say is they need they need a rhyming couplet. So so I'm going to suggest an alternative. Dr. Weatherburn of Dundee, a hero in his own right, who worked tirelessly day and night, his compassion and care, they knew no bounds, as he tends to the sick on his daily rounds. Wow. See, that's it. Getting that as a template and a human to optimise it. I think so, so we I, found the way forward. I, I offer that as a live example of being a human in the loop. <laughs> that's so good. Thank you. No, 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 thank you. And uh, I won't take any more of your, your, your busy morning, uh, but I, I do appreciate the time and uh, I really do enjoy, you know, going through these books and actually just listening to them when you're in the car or, or, or out for a run or something like that. So I hope you have a great year and I hope, I hope we can get to see each other this year at some point. For sure, in person. Take care. And that's the end of another Snug Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. But for those of you who did, you'll be able to try out ChatGPT and DAL-E. And when you're thinking about your practice activity data, you'll be able to generate some poetry and pictures to go along with it. What about a short limerick to finish? In Scotland, a group there does thrive. National users all working to survive. With new tech, they'll keep pace. In digital, they'll find their place. Snug, a future-proof group, always alive. Goodbye.